scripture this morning. <clears throat> the promise of peace. In our scripture this morning, there's three scriptures, and uh, I'm not going to read them all because I think, uh, I think that'll take too long. Do we have them up on the screen at all? Perfect. I'm not going to read. You can put up Romans 15, and then we're going to slip down to verse 12. You can open your pew Bibles as well. Um, Romans 15, 12. And then uh, Matthew 3, 1 to 12. I'm not going to read it all. I'm just going to read a, a section of it. And if we could just slip down a little bit farther in Romans. Keep going down a little bit more. And a little bit more. Actually, back up. R right there. Perfect. Back up once. All right, there we go. We're going to read, uh, yeah, just to the end of that, that section there. And uh, verse 11. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, and Paul is here quoting Isaiah chapter 11. He said, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will rise to rule over the nations. In him the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And then Matthew 12, we're going to slip down. That shouldn't take too long. Keep going a little bit farther. Sorry about that. Right there. Verse 8. This is John the Baptist came on the scene. And we know he was preaching baptism of repentance, a surrendering to God. And we know that the Pharisees showed up and they had no intention of changing their hearts. They had hard hearts and they wanted to lots of stuff going on in their hearts. And so John kind of replied back and says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. I do not think that you can say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that even out of these stones, God can raise up God, out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry or to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire, and his winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear the threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn, and burning the chaff with unquenchable, unquenchable fire. Hands off, quite weighty there. And we will focus also more so on Isaiah 11, but we'll focus on that as we go along. Last week we lit the prophecy candle, and it symbolized hope. The Christian hope looks forward to when sickness, disease, and poverty will be gone. Just think about it. Nurses and doctors won't have a job anymore. They'll show up at the hospital and they're all cleaned out. There's nobody there. That's the hope that we have. Nobody's sick. No nurse is going to have to administer chemo anymore. We'll have to put on those aprons and take them on and off all day long. It's gone. Just think, we won't have to apply for funding for these expensive drugs to treat diseases. So there will be no more sickness. There will be no painful healing after surgery. 
Don't have to go through that process. Just think food banks will be shut down. The more than 2 million people that visited the food banks in one month in Canada alone, they'll have enough to eat. No more collection schedule for the deacons. Because all the needs are met. These great charities, they won't have a job anymore. We won't have to buy batteries for our flashlights or, or pay to keep the hydro on in the church or at home. We won't have to. Why? Because in that day, there's going to be no light there. No lamps. There's going to be no night there, rather. No need for lamps or the sun, for the Lord God will shine on them, and they will reign forever and ever, says John in Revelations 22.5. I don't know about you, but that sounds like perfect peace to me. That's a pretty peaceful existence. The word peace in Hebrew is, I think we all know this, what's, what's the Hebrew word for peace? Shalom. Shalom. And it's a deeper meaning than our English word. It's, not, it's more than just the absence of conflict. It's actually completeness, wholeness, well-being, harmony, and much more. We see the reality in our world is that there still is cancer, aging, death, sickness. None of us are immune to it. Not a single one of us. It's always been here, and, and so we often think it's, it's actually normal. But it's not. It's not. The reality of the kingdom of God, what we're looking for, what we're looking forward to, the hope, we still have to wait. We still have to wait. The Lord is not holy here. What about poverty? I think we all struggle in these days with inflation. Gas is expensive. Food's expensive. Homelessness and brothel is increasing, as it is in most cities. Many children and families are living below the poverty line. Just this past week, and this is not out of humility at all, I went to the warming center, the cooperative care center, which is the homeless shelter uh, down by the, the psychiatric hospital. I went there because I, I actually need to fill some hours for my coursework. I need about 200 hours. and It can't be in a church setting. It has to be in something that's ethnically or demographically different than the church setting. So even the work I'm doing at the Christian school won't apply. So I thought, well, hey, why not work at the homeless shelter? And so I had a, a wonderful talk with the lady there, and I learned some things. They don't have enough beds there. I think there's 30 beds, and there's about 90 people that show up a month. They get funding through the United Counties, but they have to rely on volunteers, as well as a few staff. And before we begin to judge those people, because, well, they're probably there because they have addictions, that's not true. There's elderly people there with a good pension. They can't afford rent. There's people there with steady jobs. They can't afford rent. It's crazy when you think of it. Jesus said, you will always have the poor among you. He was exactly right. But hope looks forward to a time when this will end. So this peace, this completeness, this wholeness, this well-being. But we've got to wait. We've got to wait. Albert experienced the hope that became the reality yesterday for him when he passed on to be with the Lord. Pete's mom experienced the reality of this when she passed on. And the hope of the kingdom of heaven is secured 
because of the Prince of Peace. But we're still called to bring peace on earth. We're still called to do our part, of course. To volunteer, to give, to support. You see, hope looks forward to a day when there's going to be no hate or greed. Judging by mere appearance. No. It's going to be a day when people will be judged not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their hearts, says Martin Luther King. The hope of the good news that Jesus will bring. He will bring perfect peace between Jew and Gentile, Palestinian and Israel, between North and South Korea, between black and white. In Isaiah 10, 11, 10, it says, In the day the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for all people. The nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. Glorious. Then there will be perfect peace or shalom. The reality is there's still racism. Palestinian and Israel, Russia and Ukraine, they're still out there fighting each other, blaming each other for their problems. Well, most of us just sit at home and mull it over and decide and contemplate who's right and who's wrong. Or stage angry protests about it. I was walking in the halls of TIS the other day. The kids had a, a volleyball or a basketball game. I couldn't believe when I saw one bulletin board about trafficking that's happening. They want to make kids aware of it. They want to make kids aware of the signs and things that can happen and who you can call. The bulletin board was just full of those things. I saw it at the driver's license bureau when I went and brought uh, one of my kids to get their license. So things are are not well yet. But hope looks forward to a day when all this will end and there will be perfect peace. Now, <clears throat> I don't want to be, I thought, uh, what do you call that, uh, negative Nancy? And then I, there's a downer Dan. I didn't want to throw Dan in the bus. So that, I don't want to be a critical Chris. That works. I don't want to be a critical Chris. But the idea that we can achieve such a heavenly state on earth has been dashed to pieces in the 21st century. It's been dashed to pieces. We're more technologically advanced. We know more about the human body. We know more about societies and people psychologically. It's so beautiful and wonderfully complex, and yet two million people still visit the food bank in Canada in one month. Well, I'm not going to say his name, right? Otani, kind of an MLB player. He's making how much a minute? Something's not right with this picture. Come on. Something's not right with this picture. Really, think about it. Like, come on. So we lit the candle. We lit candle number two. The Bethlehem candle. It symbolizes peace. Peace is not simply an ideal. Yes, it's something we strive for, but it's far deeper, it's far richer. Ronald Reagan said that peace is the absence, is not the absence of conflict, it's actually handling conflict with peaceful means. I think he's partially right, but not fully. Because it's not enough. Really, it's trying to trying to kill a dragon with a fly swatter. You're trying to kill a dragon with a fly swatter. Peace. 
is a presence. It's a person. Consequences of sin are huge. It steals the peace we long for, and there's war against the Prince of Peace. We know that. It's what our Bible talks about, and it's what we experience. The peace stealer works to convince those made in the image of God to find peace in ways that are contrary to God. It convinces others that they alone have the power, that they can have the power. You see, the peace stealer tried at one time to tempt the peace giver. His name was Jesus. And he said, if you will only bow down and worship me, I'll give you the whole world. And Jesus says, we're called to worship God alone. God alone. So you see, the root of sin, it's actually a spiritual problem, but it has earthly and physical consequences. It affects all societies, all people at all times in various degrees. But the great truth, the great truth, is that from the stump of Jesse, even though David was a great king, he was not perfect. He had faith, but he still fell. And then after King David, it just got worse and worse and worse. And you read in the chapter before Isaiah 11, and the Assyrians, that God used the Assyrians as a tool to punish Israel. But then it went to their head. And they wanted to annihilate them completely. And through Isaiah, God said, you know, you thought you were the person swinging the axe. I was swinging the axe. I was wielding the sword. But then you didn't acknowledge me in the end. But out of the dead stump of Jesse, Isaiah 11, verse 1 says, The very spirit of the Lord, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, of counsel and might, of knowledge and fear would be upon him. The very word of God would become human. He would be a better son of Jesse. A better Adam. God would become human. And he would dwell among us. They thought about this. It's almost like the devil mocked God and said, you know, you're so holy you can only use your power to help these pitiful people, these human beings. And guess what? You can't tolerate disobedience. You can't tolerate sin. And they're covered in it. They're covered in it. you got to destroy them. So Jesus, so God came through the back door. And he sent Jesus as a baby born in a manger. The devil still tried to kill Jesus by sending Herod to kill every child under two. And yet God protected his own son. And in God's perfect time, he would solve the sin problem of death and hell because he would die himself. He would give his people a purpose and a reason for living. He would fill our hearts with hope and with peace. You see, the means and the tools that we need to live is the message of Jesus. The passage in Isaiah, Isaiah 11, is one of 300 prophecies in Scripture that came true. Even secular scholars can't deny this. Jesus Christ is the only one who can come. The perfect one. And in Isaiah 11, starting at verse 3, it says that he will judge by what he sees, not judge by what he sees with his eyes. He will not decide what he hears with his ears, 
But with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt, and faithfulness will be the sash around his waist. But know that there can't be any peace without justice first. Sin's got to be judged, period. And only God can see and hear the true motives of each and every person's heart. Why? He doesn't look at appearances. He doesn't judge on the basis of what he hears. He cuts right through soul and spirit. And he has compassion. He's the only one. And each person, even through the silliness of, of, of my preaching, it's not my preaching, it's the spirit of God at work. It saves everyone who believes that Jesus came into our mess and declared with his own life that the insults of those who insulted you, guess what? They will fall on me. As Paul says in the first part of Romans 15. They will fall on me and I nail them to a cross. So each person who's made in the image of God has a choice. To surrender or to go alone. The problem and the solution lies in surrender. John the Baptist prepared the way. He was a pre-service show, I like to think. He taught the importance of repentance and surrender before Jesus came on the scene. You see, we surrender, and when we do, we surrender and we give up our rights when we hear his call. We're like rebels and we have to lay down our arms and join the side of peace. When we do, we will see how much sin cost God and we will see his holiness and his love in return. His very life will become our life so we can become peacemakers in this world. That's the hope. That's the hope that he gives us. We work continually even though others can't pay us back. We serve with our money, we serve with our time, we serve with our talents so we can bring God's peace on this earth so others can have hope. But often, but often everything has to be stripped away in order for that to happen. Sometimes God has to back away and he has to remove his peace in order for people to get that. I just talked to a man this past week. I think he either owned a restaurant or he was, he was the, the head chef I think he owned it. It was up in Ottawa. He cooked for prime ministers from Pierre Trudeau right up to Justin Trudeau. And he knew a lot of dignitaries and politicians. And he lived the high life. He lived the high life. And yet, he worked, he went home, he never opened his curtains. And he stored it all away. He made 50000 a month. He had all the money in the world. He didn't have a clue how to live. And God had to strip it all away. He needed money to get a $3 bus pass to get out of town. And God got a hold of his life through people that just shared the simple truth of the gospel with him, walked alongside him, loved him. But he had to come to a place of surrender. 
And as soon as he surrendered, he was free. Completely free. You know, when we do, and when we do, I just think it's for grace and wrong. You know, when we do, and we let go of the window of blame, they talked about it a few weeks ago, that window of blame or that mirror of shame, thinking we got to hold on to it. When we hold on to unforgiveness and bitterness, when we hold on to stuff that keeps us trapped and not have any peace, we continue to live for ourselves by holding on. But when we surrender to Jesus Christ, what happens? When we say yes to Him, we open our hands and all the stuff we're holding on to just slips through our fingers. It means nothing. In the light of God's glory, it means nothing. Nothing. That's the holiness of God. kind of think it's like a parent who loves their child. You don't keep spoiling them. You've got to step away and let them feel the pain. And often that's the only way that we can surrender. I want to play a song. I heard the bells on Christmas Day. It was actually a poem writ written by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Sally, I'm sure you know the poet. He's quite an accomplished man. Couldn't believe it. And he penned this famous poem, among many others. But he had lost his wife in 1861. Tried to help her out of the fire. Burned his face as a result. Two years later, his son, Charles, had entered the war without him knowing it. He was a lieutenant in, in the army. And he got word that his son was wounded. And in that time, you couldn't just hop on a plane and go visit him. And in sadness, on Christmas Day in 1963, he penned these words. Their old carols, the old familiar carols play, and mild and sweet songs repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And then in despair, he bowed his head. There's no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the sun, sun of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then he heard the church bells in the background faintly, and he penned the rest of the poem. Let's hear that in the song.
Will it come up if you if you just write on YouTube right from the internet or no? Does it work that way? Um, okay. Well, let's. Uh, well, David works on that. We're just. We'll just continue. If we get it at the end, that's great. You know, and when he penned the rest of that song, all was stripped away, and he had nothing left. But then the spirit of Jesus rose up within him, and it said. And rang the bells more loud and sweet, more loud and deep. God's not dead, nor doubt he's sleep. That's what rolls up within him. And when we realize that, we know that we won't have to take life so seriously. Because we know that heaven, or that earth is not our home, and that we have hope, and that we're only passing through. You see, peace is not the absence of conflict. It's a presence. It's the presence of Jesus. When you hear his whisper, when we hear the church bells in the background, his sweet voice that says, be kind, love, forgive, smile at those who don't smile back to you. And he'll continually say in our heart, press on, press on. You're almost home. You're almost home. I got you. I got you. So when you trust and will you surrender to the Prince of Peace? Are we ready to share this message with others so they too can trust and surrender to Him and find peace? Because guess what? One day soon, one day soon, the wolf will live with the lamb, as Isaiah says. The leopard will lie down with the goat. Actually, the goat will lie down on the leopard, because that's what goats do. <laughs> the calf and the lion and the yearling together. And the little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear at the same trough. Their young will lie down together. And for all you people who don't care to eat meat, the lion will eat straw with the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den. And the young child can put his hand into the viper's nest. You know more pain. You know more curse. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy earth. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In hope, we do need to wait. We do need to wait. But today, we can have peace in our hearts. If only we will surrender. In Jesus' name. Amen. Did we get it?